Welcome into the latest edition of ESPN FC. I'm Dan Thomas, joined by Shaka Hisop and Stevie Nickel. Only one place to start today's show, and that's at Kenilworth Road. What a game between Luton and Arsenal. Arsenal took the lead, looked like they had cruised, but in the end, it was a late rice header that proved to be enough to give Arteta's side all at three points. It looked for much of the match that they were opening the door on those trying to catch them at the top of the table, but that door was very much slammed shut, meaning they are now five points clear of Liverpool, six of Manchester City. Uh, Nadim Anoa. Anoa joins us. Hi, guys. Too excited by your background, Nadim. I forgot your name. Uh, Nadim looks like he's in <laughs> an episode of Black Mirror. Uh, more on that in a moment. Uh, but first, let's start off. Uh, Steve, what a game. What a brilliant match. Oh, sorry. I thought you'd forgotten it. Because I said... <laughs> I shot off there. That's all right. Should we start again? Oh, live. All right. Okay. Right. Stevie, what a brilliant yeah. match. <laughs> well, the... I mean, there's, there's pretty much two things in, in my head right now. Uh, and the first one is that this is what title winners do. Right. They get themselves in a bad situation and somehow claw their way out of it. And there's no question that's exactly what Arsenal did. The other thing is clearly the goalkeeper, David Raya. You know, this guy, as we stand, basically is making a mistake after mistake every game. Every game, not now and again, but every game. Sometimes he gets away with it, and today he didn't get away with it. So, Michael Arteta has got himself in a right pickle, because with every game and with every mistake, it's making the things that Arteta was saying about the goalkeeping situation ridiculous every single time it happens. And, and I've got to tell you, when the second ball, the second goal went in, the first thing that came to my head was, OK then, you try to talk nonsense about substituting goalkeepers. If ever there was a time to do what you said you wanted to do, now's the time. The goalkeeper's thrown two in and you've got, according to you, another number one sitting on the bench. So put him in and he didn't do it. So, so again, talk your way out of that. But the most important thing is... Arsenal dug their way out of a situation and that's what title winners do. Uh, we'll talk about the goalkeeping situation in a little more detail in a moment, but Nadem, as, as Stevie said, when it comes to their title credentials, Arsenal added another notch, didn't they, today? Yeah, they certainly did, but I think we have to look at last season as well, and they had quite a few moments just like this where they were scoring really late goals. I think it was like in Kessler against, against United. There were so many moments like this. Is this going to be the, the title defining moment for them? And in some ways, I'm with Steve, you know, you've obviously got the goalkeeping issue as such, but I thought this game would have been more comfortable for Arsenal, especially given how well they started. They go 1-0 up and they're forced in the loon goal to make so many saves. But maybe at some point that sort of luck will run out. But at the end of the day, they've got people who can step up in the biggest moments, the likes of Declan Rice, the ball in from Odegaard. And they do, it's not to say that they don't panic, but they go and have a belief that they can go and get a result. And I think these days, for me, I don't know if you guys would agree, it feels... I'd be surprised if they didn't go and get a late goal, as is their ability to do so with the people that are on the field, the belief that they have and the times when they've done it before. And it's a shame for Luton, but for Arsenal, like, you know, that feeling of getting a last-minute winner, doesn't matter who it's against, is a fantastic feeling. But for them, it shows that they are now five points clear at the top of the table. And we've seen it, and with Shaka, obviously, Manchester United famously in the past, Liverpool did it in their title-winning season as well being able to find something late, late on. I, I'll be honest, I, I, I mentioned during the highlight from my time, uh, having scored with, with 60 minutes on the clock, 
you, you just knew Arsenal were going to find a winner. You, you just felt it all along. The surprising thing was that it took so late and Luton played their own part in the build-up to that goal, a cheaply conceded foul. Um, but then Declan Rice stepped up. And I, I keep seeing this. When West Ham were selling Declan Rice in the summer and the price started to go north of $65 million, I thought West Ham were getting an absolute bargain here. I mean, the, 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 I did not think that Declan Rice was, was worth that kind of money. The 105 or whatever it, it's now gone, it, it eventually went for, Declan Rice is worth every single penny. And as much as we talk about this, letter, this late header, whenever Liverpool, whenever Arsenal have struggled, at both ends of the park, defensively or today offensively, Declan Rice has somehow been the person yeah. that they've been able to call on. It, it really is incredible to, to watch this man, this man play the game. Um, he, he, is, he is, is, is such a talent. And yes, there's, there's a lot of things we can, again, you can blame Luton for in, in terms of, um, well, certainly the first and the fourth goal that, that they conceded. But you've got to give Arsenal credit for, again, not switching off grinding out a result somehow these things add up at the end of the season you'll be on the wrong end of a couple but as long as you keep doing this time and uh, time and time again um those things work in your favor long term Declan Rice coach's dream I imagine Stephen yeah? oh absolutely you know the guy just stands out on the field you, you always know where he is and you can always see him on the field whether it's with the ball or without the ball which you can't say for a lot of players you really can't, <clears throat> and, including Havertz. Havertz got his goal, yep. but Chaka came to me at half-time and said, you know what, I didn't even realise Havertz was playing. He, he, you cannot... Where were you? Well, he was out. <laughs> right, but, yeah. I was holding the fort. Where were you? Because you weren't there either. I had to pick the kids up. Oh, uh, yeah, right. <laughs> but as I said, that, that's, that's Declan Rice. He stands out, regardless of who they're playing. Today yeah. it was Luton, but regardless of whether it's Luton or whether it's Man City, the other end of the table... This guy makes a difference. And how he makes a difference in the rhetoric, in the way which we're going to talk about this, because the question was going to be, is David Raya going to cost Arsenal the title? And I suppose if you keep having the likes of Declan Rice bane you out, Nadam, then it's going to be OK. I just want to say what Arteta said after the game, when asked about Raya, we have to defend better this situation as a team. It's not about blaming, we have never done it, and we're not going to do it now. Stevie put it quite nicely, didn't he? Arteta's got himself in a little bit of a pickle. Yeah, I think, I think that's fair. And I think to try and say that they could defend that corner better, I think everyone else is kind of doing their job. I think if a, if a forward is going to basically out-jump a goalkeeper who has the, the ability to use their hands, then, you know, something's not quite right there. And I think even with this goal here, I think Ben White's showing him down the line. That's the right thing to do because it will limit the opportunity for the attacker to get a really good shot off. But that, that, that's him. You know, what, what more do you want Ben White to do? You can say, oh, he has to stop the shot, stop the shot, have to stop the shot. But... That's not really the way that football works. You can try your best, but at the end of the day, shots will come down on your goal. And you would expect the goalkeeper of that standard to be able to do better on both. I think for me, I think there were mistakes that Ramsdale and stuff was making last season. And Arteta obviously wanted to see something different. But I just wonder now about the doubt that's potentially in his head. Maybe the next time Arsenal play, how many crosses are going to put, get put right underneath the crossbar to go and test Raya out if he's going to be the person that's in the sticks? How many shots are going to be let off because... For anyone, for any player, you always want to say, oh, we'll move on, everything's fine. But in reality, you always remember the mistakes that you make. And, you, you know, in this instance, he's, he's lucky in some ways that Arsenal ended up winning the game and, you know, Declan Rice is hugging him afterwards. 
but everyone knows the eyes are on him. And as he travels around the country now playing in these games, fans are letting him know that he's making mistakes and it's very hard to forget about the mistakes he's made before. This is all of Arteta's own doing, isn't it? Yeah, yeah it is. This has been coming all, all season long, in all honesty. Um, and to Stevie's point, I'm not sure how, how you address this. You know, and, and as much as I've been saying all along that Mikel Arteta has to establish who's his number one. And I think he's done that in, in, in who he's selected. David Raya is now his number one. But then, even after that, I, I wake up this morning to the news that Mikel Arteta say, is saying that he hopes Ramsdale doesn't leave the, this January. I mean, all, all those things start to play in, in the back of, of David Raya's mind. You know, is the manager really convinced about me or, or is he not? Um, and, and that turns in the performances that you have. And now the one time that we've seen Ramsdale, well, over the last couple of weeks, he didn't perform particularly well either. So now you have two albeit talented goalkeepers who have this seed of doubt put in their mind by, by their manager and neither of them are, are performing anywhere close to they can or I think a title-winning team needs them to be. They may keep getting bailed out if Arsenal do go on to, to win this season. It's less about, it's more about, um, I think, City being less than, than we've seen them to be than Arsenal just being better and, and able to, to absorb um, the goalkeeping situation as it is. Uh, let's take a look then at how today's result affects the title odds. Manchester City uh, remain favourites at 11-8 on. Meanwhile, Arsenal 3-1. Uh, Liverpool at 4-1. City in action tomorrow against Aston Villa. Speaking of the press conference ahead of that game, Pep Guardiola very bullish about defending the title. My feeling today, we're going to win the Premier League. Today, if you ask me, we're going to win the Premier League. If we play in the level to, so Liverpool and, and Tottenham, we are going to win it again. The people don't believe it already for three draws. But, uh, yeah, we're going to do it again, knowing that it's not easy. Because no one, no team have done it yet. So, so that's why the difficulty is there. So it was last season, it was this season, but if you ask me today what you're feeling, we're going to do it again. Uh, Mark Ogden joins us, but I just want to start with Nadem. Nadem, you don't normally hear this sort of kind of stuff from Pep Guardiola when he's asked about the title race. Arsenal are a good team, Liverpool are a good team, Spurs are a good team, Villa are the same. You know, over the years, pretty much he's kept to that script. Very different today. Yeah, that, that does feel very, very different. But I think when you sort of think about the context and what he's trying to say, in my opinion, he's talking about how in those three games which they've drawn, there were points where they almost looked like they were a mile better than the opposition they were playing against. I think when you look at the Spurs game in that first half, when you look at elements of that Liverpool game as well, and, you know, you could even say, say with the um, with the Chelsea game, that's the one that he's referencing, there are times when they move the ball really well. Obviously, they've made mistakes at the back and have conceded too many goals and have allowed teams back into the game. But I think he knows that the team, on a different day, maybe gets that ball across the line. Maybe they get things done. And I think with a team that they have, to still be competitive at this level, know they're not at their best, but still to be able to show something in his eye, which he's seen before in the previous seasons, he knows the team's good enough to be able to do it. Maybe it's a message to the fans, maybe it's a message to the players to not doubt themselves. But more of all, he's just trying to dismiss the fact that you know they have dropped points because realistically they've not been that bad in those games. What's wrong with the defence, Nadam? 
To be honest, to be honest, I this I'm like the worst person to answer this question just because I've played for City, so it sounds like I'm being really biased. But <laughs> the chances they're conceding goals, but they're not conceding a ton of chances. I think in terms of like general play, the opposition aren't having that many opportunities against them. And I know this is a panel that doesn't love XG, but like City's XG on that Sunday where there were twenty something goals scored was the lowest of all the teams in terms of what was given up, but they still conceded three. So you'd say on a different day, maybe they don't concede the three. But the fact is, you know, you conceding goals in the Premier League, you're giving away chances at the wrong sort of time and it affects the flow of the game. But defensively, they're not as bad as we think. But unfortunately, as I say, at this moment in time, they are conceding goals. But I'd be more concerned, in my perspective, say from the Spurs standpoint, because in that first half, they were getting completely sliced open over and over and over. This is the Spurs, the Spurs defence. Whereas the City one, they got caught out on those occasions. Maybe they can address them in a different matchup, but I don't think it's as bad as people think. Did you want to say something about Pep, Stevie? Yeah, I, I like what he said. Oh, yeah? Well, number one, as you started off by saying, it's not like him at all. No. But, you know, sometimes coaches can say the right thing just when it's needed. And if we're talking about how they've drawn three in the trot, you know the players are thinking, how have we just drawn three in the trot? How come we're... Look I mean, to Nathan's point about the XG, I bet there's not one of those defenders thinking about, well, we don't have a bad XG. They're, they're, they're now starting to question themselves. And so a manager who never comes out and says, we're the best, we're going to do this, we're going to do that, has taken the opportunity at the right time when his team's probably starting to think whether they can win it or not. And he says, no, no, we can win it. And every single one of them will hear. And if they don't hear the interview, it'll, it'll filter its way back to the dressing room that the manager actually thinks... Well, he's actually just said that he thinks we're going to win the league. Right. That, that, that makes a difference. And it really does make a that difference. That absolutely makes a difference. And, and, and to that point, and, and you know, Needham's talking about Manchester City's XG, City have kept five clean sheets this season in all competitions. I mean, I, I know that includes the Community Shield, um, Super Cup and... Champions um, League. I, well, I mean, teams that, in games that they'd make changes. They, a lot of goals. When, 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 can't, when have we said that about City? That in 22 games, five clean sheets, now no, City don't feel like they can keep a clean sheet. And, and then to Stevie's point, defensively, and, and when you're questioning Manchester City defensively, um, and they start feeling, are we able to keep a clean sheet? You have a manager coming out and being almost bullheaded about it. And I, th I think that, that filters through to the players that, yeah, um, at least Pep still, still believes in us. So maybe we aren't as bad as, as maybe our record shows or sometimes how we may be feeling. Uh, of course, for City, they felt they should have had one last chance against Spurs. However, the referee didn't play the advantage. Haaland's face... <clears throat> Excuse me, has dominated, uh, of course, the back pages of the newspapers over the last uh, 48 hours. Uh, you can see, actually, when you look at the footage, that he does lay his hand on the referee, Kovacic as well, in those incidents in the latter stages of the game. Uh, Mark Ogden's still with us. Mark, why did the FA decide to just charge Manchester City as a whole and not Haaland or Kovacic as individuals? Well, we've not really had an explanation for that. that we got a, a briefing which was to say that after the team had been charged with failing to control the players, that there'd be no further action against Haaland for his, for his tweet. No mention of the fact that he, you know, confronted the referee, raised in front of him. And, you know, I was at the game and I, and I saw Haaland run to the referee and I, and I for, for a split second, thought, 
it's going to hit him here. He, he was going at such a pace and he, he managed to hold himself back. But, it, you know, he... <laughs> It, it obviously it, it laid contact on him, but the referee has clearly not mentioned that in his report, or not mentioned it as being significant enough for him to warrant, you know, taking further action. If he if he laid a hand on him or pushed him or shoved him, that, that would have been a red card. And as we saw last season with Mitrovic at Fulham, that was an, I think he got an eight match ban. So there's a real risk of touching or pushing a referee. I'm I'm, I'm really surprised that the FA didn't take action because. I know how the FA tend to work. What they do is that they wait until the Monday or the Tuesday morning. They see what the back pages are saying, and they kind hmm. of they kind of nudged into action by the back pages. Now every back page carried that image of Harland, and it was it was raging at the referee. And you know people have made the point. I mean, I I I compared it to Roy Keane against Andy Durso twenty odd years ago, when you know the, the the vein is bulging in the side of Keane's head, and he's, he's really raging at Andy Durso. And that's been an image that we've seen for twenty years. Now the Harland image. Right now, there's a campaign in the UK and England for more respect for referees. Now, that image is the antithesis of that campaign. So I thought the FA would act on that, on that fact alone, that the most high-profile player in the league has gone into the face of a referee, snarling and angry and demanding that he change his mind. But they've dropped it, and I'm really surprised because that was a real chance for the FA to, to make a point, to say that, look, we're drawing a line in the sand here. You can't abuse referees, but they chose not to do it. Nathan, what were you laughing at? No, it's just, it's never going to hit him. Come on. We ain't seen anyone. <laughs> it was really moving. It was really, <laughs> really moving. Come on, OK. Come on, mate. No, he had to stop himself. It's not, it's not the flipping streets outside. Well, <laughs> I think I'm sure himself. the show will somehow find a way to... I'm sure the show will somehow find a way to involve me in this if I was possibly angry at referee at some point. <laughs> but you can get worked up in these moments, Dan. You know what I mean? It's... It's a, it's a shame that he reacted in that manner. But interestingly, I was on a call with PGO MOL for something recently, and they were talking about how those instances where people are surrounded by the referees is actually less so far this year, and they believe it's because of the way the referees are handling those moments. So only the referee knows himself what was being said in that moment, and it looks horrendous from the outside. But he believes he's dealt with it. And I think if the FA would have possibly come over the top, and you know they would have been entitled to do so if they wanted to, then fair enough, but I guess speaking with the referee and the referee's group, I guess they just understand that you know that was a reaction which was over the top, but was dealt with in an appropriate manner with the yellow card. Why? Why when basically we've been getting this word transparency thrown at us by all these officials all the time? Why, why do we still not know? Why, why is the referee not told anybody or told us why he blew his whistle? Well, I suppose it, well. Well, that's a, that's, a, that's a different conversation. We're not having that conversation. That's not the conversation to be had now. Yeah. The conversation to be had now is a player has reacted the way that he has in a time that we've well, been... We've got two choices, right? And, and surprise, surprise, a board of people, officials, take the wrong, they take the wrong route. But you said they took the right route yesterday. No, I didn't. Yes, you did. Right, tell me what I said. You said that he understands what happened in the moment and therefore Harlan shouldn't have been punished. So you don't know what you're talking about, again. Whatever suits you. <laughs> I said, if any player, Haaland and Kovacic, touch the referee, right. they deserve all they get. So why did you what defend I them so was, staunchly yesterday? Go on. Are you finished? I'm, I'm asking you. All right, I'll start again. Okay. I said that Haaland and Kovacic and anybody else puts their hands on a referee, they deserve all they get. Right. And I followed it with... There are occasions when you just don't have a book and go, well... That, so, that and that. There are situations... So you've just completely and contradicted yourself. this is a situation where you have to just... I'm talking about the, the suckling the, ref, the referees. Why, not, do, why do you need to put that on the end of your argument? 
Because why can't you just say Harlan Cove should, because should have been punished because they put a hand on the I referee? I told you that yesterday. So then why and does I've it? I just told you twice today. But why does it need the added? Oh, but I understand why. Because in this particular situation, understand. What do you mean understand why? Why have you put a caveat at the end of your argument that it's okay for them to act the way they did because it was such a bad decision? Because of the whole circumstance. But the whole. I'll tell you what. See, here's the thing. The only other option we have is that. You're going to tell me we expect football players in a situation like that, when the referee has the most horrendous decision, we're expecting everybody to go, well, it's unfortunate, he's made a mistake and I'm going to keep out the road. Do you think that's what we expect? No, I'm, I'm just saying, you start by saying, if you put your hand on the referee, you should be punished. Correct. So why isn't that well, the end? Why isn't there a period done. at the end of that? That's not what they've done. They, they haven't punished him, exactly. But you want him punished, but then you add... Of course I want them, I want them punished right. for putting their right. hands on the referee. Right. See, you're not listening. I am listening, Steve. I've told I you three don't, times. I don't, if you I put just your hands know. on a referee, you, get, you should get exactly what right. you deserve. Good, so that's it. But Why does it need the rest? Because they've got it wrong again. Right. They've got it wrong again. Right. Instead of, instead of punishing the two guys that put their hands on them, they've turned the situation into... Oh, well, because they were all over the goal and they're all surrounding them. So they, they've got it wrong again. doesn't matter. These clowns, whatever happens, choose the wrong option, as always. And they've done it again. See, we got there in the end. We did get there in the end. <laughs> uh, the problem... So, out of everyone on the panel, I think you agreed yesterday there should have been punishment because there were hands on the officials. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So, why would Naden be such an ally... For Erling Haaland and Manchester City, maybe it's because he's got previous. Maybe because he knows exactly what it's like <laughs> to lose your head at the heat of the moment. Oh, 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 no. He's got a right key. Bugs inside of his neck and all. Hey. <laughs> hey, listen, one of many comparisons between myself and Haaland, we can get quite worked up the cold referees. Oh, and this is what we did. Wow. wow. Oh, hey, listen, man. the referee... Look at the gun show. Oh, fairness, wow. I, oh, there was a bit I of show, should should have I should have been, um, been sent off, to be fair, because I'd lost my mind altogether. But in, right. the, the referee gave me yellow, and I was actually calmed down by members of the opposition side, because I was lost. <laughs> I could not see anything whatsoever, apart from pure rage. But I've calmed down, I've apologised to him. I know it's the wrong thing to do, it's the wrong image. But that decision was probably worse than the one we saw a couple of days ago. So please let me oh. off. I, I don't, I'm not usually like that. What was that decision? What was worse than that? <laughs> uh, red mist there. Well, I like it. <laughs> well, uh, yeah. Uh, uh, well, why so, weren't you on the Gavin Jules podcast, want, boys, yeah. this week? Why weren't you on the Gavin Jules podcast this week, oh. Nathan? Uh, I only go down once a month, that's it. Mark? That's, that's, that's my maximum, I'm afraid. I don't get asked unless Nadam's not available and obviously... No, no but I, 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 I reckon they went down. They went down the lid and in the end they're stuck with Don Hutchinson uh, who joined Gab uh, for the latest edition of the uh, Gab and Jules show. Be sure to check it out. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't a search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. 
Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash FC. Just go to Indeed.com slash FC right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on the podcast. Indeed.com slash FC, terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Did you know less than 10% of Americans own an e-bike? Here's why that should change. Studies show e-bike owners actually end up exercising more, plus getting outside more. If you're looking for a balanced lifestyle and everyday adventures, you need to check out Electric e-bikes. They are the number one selling e-bike brand in America. Their bikes are typically foldable, pre-assembled and have serious range up to 150 miles on some models. Check them out today at electricebikes.com and add some more adventure to your week. That's L-E-C-T-R-I-C-E-Bikes.com. Right then, United against City tomorrow at Old Trafford. So many talking points, certainly from a Manchester United perspective, going into this tie. Uh, Nemanja Matic, who of course used to play for Manchester United, talked about what it was like when he was there. Uh, Chelsea players acted professionally. They were punctual and were never late for training. But at United, it happened almost every day. Among the players who would always be late were Paul Pogba and Jaden Sancho and a couple of other players. And he would then continue saying the rest of us who were always on time were angry so we decided to form a kind of internal disciplinary committee with me serving as its president. I put a sheet of paper up on the wall where I documented the names of the individuals arriving late. During one particular season we collected around 75 thousand pounds uh, in fines. Uh, Mark I'm guessing this isn't news to you. No I mean it's it's long term. This is it's no surprise. I, I'm just glad that someone like Nemanja Matic has come out and confirmed what we've all said and written over the years that the the atmosphere and the attitude and the professionalism at times has been terrible at Man United. You know, all sorts of stories. We know that, you know, Paul Pogba was allowed to go to Dubai for treatment. Edison Cavani was given a two week holiday at the start of the season by Ligon Solskjaer. So many stories of things that wouldn't happen anywhere else have happened at Man United. And the fact that, you know, Sancho's still there somewhere. And he's, you know, he's been there for two and a half years, and th this this thing about his attitude has been has been there all the time. So it's Man United, isn't it? And it's 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 such a shame that a, a great club has has descended into this this level. But it's still it's still happening now, as we know that players are taking liberties, and we've seen this week that you know some players aren't very happy with Eric Ten Hag, but um, you know they don't like a bit of criticism, do they? And some have played really badly recently; they're still being criticised. Uh, Stevie, it reminded me of a story that you, you told me when you went back to Liverpool once and Liverpool signed a high-profile forward yep. who basically did what he wanted, came in when he wanted, yep. didn't respect any of the rules and how that has a crippling effect, almost a domino effect, right through the whole team. Yeah, well, well, well basically, eventually, the rest of the players, obviously, younger players don't know what to do, but there was two or three of the senior players who decided that, you know what, we're going to start doing it as well. Right. And so it, it, it just it becomes chaos because you're trying to start training and not everybody's there. And quite honestly, this comes down to the manager. It, it seems strange that at the start of Ten Hag's time at United, yeah. he was talking about discipline. How if, you know, we joked that if you were late, I was joking that if there was three of them in the car and he got stuck in traffic, he wasn't going to play them at the weekend, stuff like that. But it was all about discipline. Yes. The way he handled 
Ronaldo. We thought, that's a good sign. He, this guy's not taking any nonsense. But it seems like now that was just a front. But what's interesting, like, obviously this was Solskjaer with, with, with Matt, it just seems systemic, it just seems within this club and no one can really do anything about it. It comes down to the manager. The manager needs to step up. always comes down to that. Listen, it's one, thing, it's one thing to have a committee, because everybody, everybody's kind of had that. Right. Most teams. Where the captain kind the of captain gives, gives that fine. Yeah. something. But this, this particular instance, this particular reason for being late all the time, 100% is down to the manager. But has to be the manager. To, 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 to Dan's point, I mean, this preceded Ten Hag, so th this is this is this is about the club. This this is this is a, in my mind a, a whole lot bigger. And, and and how do you? Yes, the the manager is kind of the immediate go between in terms of um, what what's culturally wrong at the club and and, and how the players manifest that. Um, but instruction has to come from the club, and and they have to empower the manager to do whatever is needed to, to get it back under control because there's the longer it goes on and it's being a, and it's allowed to fester the more entrenched it becomes the more difficult it becomes to, to deal with and you cannot build a build a, a, a consistently winning organization with, with with that kind of behavior because it's happened it, uh, yeah go on yeah as steve said it goes the, the culture of the club there's a, i'll tell you a story about back when jose Mourinho started at united now United have had a tradition for a long time, going back to like the Busby Babes, that they travel in, in club suits, you know, black blazer, club tie, and they, and they always look smart, United, when they, they look like they meant business, and it was, it was something that kind of held United apart from the rest, and when Mourinho arrived, the, the players, the senior players went to him and said, look, we don't like travelling in suits, we don't, we don't like it, it's, it's uncomfortable, so Mourinho said, fine, you know, some are taught to China, don't wear your suits on the flight. Now, somebody, people at the club have told me that the senior people were kind of like, a bit upset by this so they went to ed woodward and said look this can't be right you know this cannot be right that this tradition of wearing suits has been abandoned because the players don't like it and the response was basically shrug of the shoulders well that's what the players want you know jose's happy with it so it's fine so it's just little things like that it's little little kind of erosions of club traditions and and, and things that have held united apart the players win these battles and it's a silly little battle isn't it over a suit you don't want to wear a suit on a plane but you, if you're representing man united and you get off a plane in in track suits or in something different it doesn't look the same so the standards are just eroded time after time after time to the point where the players don't think you can do anything because nobody at the club really seems to care that, that's interesting Nate. I mean, that, what's it like being at a club where player power clearly takes over i think the point that Steve was making about how it comes down to the manager, I think that is the key part. And even though you want to be almost autonomous, like we hear about Liverpool and so on, the fact is, if people are crossing the line and, you know, let's, let's, let's be very clear about this. For some people, being on time is the most important thing, whereas for others, they just don't really care. But when you're working together in a team, everyone should have the same standard. And if a manager is willing to accept that, then you as a player pool, you could say, oh, we're going to fine you. But the play, player doesn't care. That's £75,000 raised across the year for people who are earning millions of pounds. Does it really make any difference to the people who are paying it? It's a small price to pay for that. But if the culture is set whereby you have to be in at this time or the punishment is greater than just money itself, then people start to change their behaviours. And I think when you change those behaviours, it's like Mark was saying, like, yeah, we come here and we are Man United and we wear the suit because this is what we've done. This is our tradition. Like, we're seeing... Harry Kane wearing like lederhosen and stuff like that in, in Munich. Like that's the culture of the football club. That's what they do. And I think sometimes when you don't have that sort of like hard rule for someone, players start to look at a manager funny. And a prime example, 
when I was at QPR, so we had Adelta Rats, who was one of the best talents I'd seen in football. But the years before I got there and when they were in the championship, I had a manager who would allow him to play a game on a Saturday, then just take two, three days off. And then when he comes in, he's like, oh, I'll just get some recovery done before the, you know, from the game that's just been. And that allowed him to do it because he was such a good player, so much better than everybody else. But then it instilled this belief in him that he didn't need to try, this belief that he could do whatever he wanted as long as he was ready for a Saturday. And then all the legacy that he has in England is all based around being in the championship, even though technically he's one of the best players that you know could have been playing in the Premier League through that time. And the best he had in his career was when he was playing for Benfica because in that club, the culture is one whereby they work hard. Everyone gets in on time. You do the stuff early. You do the stuff afterwards. You do stuff after training. You work your hardest in training. And then out of nowhere, he's playing in the Champions League and he's playing some of the best football of his career. So I think sometimes that culture does really matter because it can help people sort of see a path which should be beneficial as opposed to one which just keeps them in a, in a poor position. We had a situation the week. We had a situation the weekend where, you know, Ten Hag has allowed the players to not have over, overnight hotel stays now because the players get bored in hotels. So he's allowed, they've brought in a situation where they now travel to some games on the day of the game. So Saturday morning they were flying to Newcastle and the flight was cancelled because of technical difficulties and weather. So they had to get a coach to Newcastle because most clubs would have stayed in Newcastle the night before a game. Preparation, good preparation. But because the players don't quite like it, they've changed that and it caused a problem. They suddenly had to change the plans on Saturday morning because the flight wasn't able to take off. So they had to get a coach and that, that eats away at the preparation. So again, it's this erosion of standards and levels that you see at most top clubs that they, they've stopped doing at Man United. And that is partly the to Ten Hag, of course it is. But it's, the malaise setting much, much longer ago than that. And, you know, some of these players have now played for five managers. And it's amazing that some of them are still there. Anthony Martial, you know, he's, got, he's coming up for nine years at the club. Victor Lindelof, Luke Shaw, all these players that have been there for so long and they've kind of soaked up this this, lev this low lowering of standards that the, the, the players that play under Ferguson wouldn't even recognise. Go on, Steve, what do you want to say? Well, just the, reason, the reason I was bringing up the manager situation was because today, in today's game, again, in my day, money was important. And so if you lost money, that was a problem. Right. And that put you in line. Unfortunately, today, the manager has to figure out what, what can I do to this guy that's going to hurt him? But the one thing you know is it's not money. And that 75 grand proves it because, unfortunately, when you have a player with, with an attitude of being late anyway, when you decide to fine him for being late, these people think that that lets them off the hook. Well, I'll just pay my money and then that's me, I've paid my dues. That's what you're dealing with. So the manager has to figure out, how do I hurt this guy? How do I really get to this guy? Because clearly, taking money out of his pocket makes no difference. Uh, meanwhile, for Manchester United, of course, as I mentioned, it's Chelsea. And all the talk, Shaka and Craig were very vocal of their criticism of Marcus Rashford, uh, not particularly of his performance, but his lack of attitude uh, that we saw, as we've just seen here, uh, the recent results uh, against Chelsea. But I want to focus on Rashford. You wrote a column about it yesterday, Mark. Uh, does it kind of sum up the feeling from Manchester United supporters that he doesn't deserve to play in this game tomorrow? Absolutely. You know, Marcus Rashford should be the the pride, the, the poster boy of the Man United fans. He's a local lad and he, he's, he's living out their dream. But right now, the attitude towards Rashford has just gone through the floor because his demeanour on the pitch, his performances, you know, 
he scored two goals in 18 games this season. One was a penalty that he was given to by Bruno Fernandes to help his confidence. He's not playing well. And I think, you know, Eric Ten Hag has, has tried to position himself as a disciplinarian and a, a guy who picks a team on merit. If he doesn't drop Marcus Rashford against Chelsea, that goes out of the window because all the players will be looking at him thinking, well, you know, Harry Maguire will be thinking, well, I lost my place when I wasn't playing well. And, and other players will be saying the same thing. And to look at Marcus Rashford, who's been awful this season, he cannot pick him against, against Chelsea because it sends the wrong message. It almost sends the message that he's the one player that I can't drop because he's our highest paid player. He's on a big, big contract. It's different to Jaden Sancho because, you know, Jaden Sancho they can get rid of him because, you know, his, his contract isn't as long as Rashford's. They gave Rashford a five-year contract in the summer and he's been absolutely woeful since then and they're stuck with him. So, but, Rashford, but Ten Hag has to drop him. He can't pick him on that form. He can't continue to reward him unless he says well it, it, we're trying to play him out of out of bad form but they've been trying that for weeks now and he's getting worse Nadim how do you explain this I really don't know to be honest I really don't know I think the game against Newcastle obviously everyone can see the fact that he wasn't tracking back away wasn't offering that defensive side but then he looks a bit hollow as well in terms of going forward and it is a, it's a very, very strange position that he's in. He's been selected week in, week out. And historically, you'd think with someone like Ten Hag, if someone's not doing it, they're going to get dropped. You know, we've seen most of the team be on the bench at some point, whether it's Maguire, you know, whether it's a McTominay, you know, even someone like Amrabat. So he does have the ability to do it. The reason why, I'm really, really not sure. I think he must see something in him. Ten Hag must see something in Rashford that knows that, you know, maybe there is more to come. There's something good there. But some of these performances aren't great. And I thought it was interesting as well, the fact that he didn't play um, against Galatasaray. And even though it was 3-3, the mistakes were there for Manana. I thought attacking-wise, they probably should have won that game with the chances that they had. So they, he could have put out that same sort of team or a similar team to that and not had Rashford in it. But still, he's persisted. There, must be, there has to be something there. But again, just a slight nuance. If there is, I don't think it's something that's based off playing on the right because I think that's been where some of his worst football has been so far this season. Uh, so then, let's take a look at everyone's predictions, uh, shall we? Uh, looking ahead to this site, Old Trafford. Chelsea are favourites uh, going into the tie quite incredibly. Uh, as we mentioned yesterday, the four of us who are on yesterday are going for a draw. Nadem and Mark, meanwhile, going for a Chelsea victory. Uh, why, Mark? Well, I, I suppose Nadem might agree. We, we've both seen United close up this season. And when they are bad, they are really bad. And I think Chelsea right now have found a bit of form. And there's not a lot of confidence in the Man United team. I'd say it, it's gone beyond lack of confidence. It's more a case of just, I think there's a fear of playing now. And there'll be, look, it could go two ways tomorrow night. They could they could sink again, or they could, the crowd could really get behind them. Because I think, you know, I think Ten Hagger's kind of had a bit of a bad weekend. I think the Rashford thing might galvanise the fans to have a go at the players to say, look, you really deserve, you really should be putting, putting a show on for us. But I just think Chelsea are beginning to find some form when Man United aren't finding any form. So if United win, I don't know how they're going to do it. And this, I just, this reminds me of the Newcastle game in the Carabao Cup, which me and Nadam were at, when they were so bad. And I think Chelsea could, if they score early, could win quite easily. And Nadam, obviously you agree. Yeah, do you know what? I do agree, but I've been slightly um, caught off guard by that record when you put up United's record against Chelsea. So you're saying, like, since 2018, Chelsea haven't beaten United in the league. That Not was, once. That felt like a big surprise to me. Not once. Okay, so I'm going to stick with it. Still Chelsea, because <laughs> as I say, as Mark said, when we were at the um, uh, when we were at that game together, it was really, uh, it was really, really bad. And I think if Chelsea played, sorry, go on. 
Uh, Mike is disappointed you didn't read his email. He said all the information was in there. <laughs> <laughs> uh, don't. T listen, tell Mike to not get involved in the show, please. But yeah, I, uh, like, like, <laughs> like I was saying, Chelsea could play in a really expansive way. And if they do, they'll get some goals. And if they get some goals, United be under pressure. And as it looks like at the minute, if United are under pressure, it doesn't tend to go too well. Needham too busy with his piano lessons. Uh, Needham will be back with us in a moment. We'll say goodbye to Mark Ogden. Much appreciated. Just a reminder what a show it will be tomorrow then. As we'll reflect on not only Manchester United against Chelsea, also that intriguing tie between Aston Villa and Manchester City. Hi, it's Mike Greenberg letting you know ESPN Bet is ready to take you through all the biggest sports moments this spring. The official sportsbook of ESPN has exclusive offers and markets from Scott Van Pelt, Stephen A. Smith, and me, plus many more. From the playoff intensity to finally getting out to the ballpark, there's no better time for sports fans. Sign up today. New users get a bet reset up to $1,000 in bonus bets if your first bet doesn't win. Download ESPN Bet today. What a play. Must be 21 plus and present in select states. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. See app for details. Jude Bellingham, of course, picked up his Golden Boy Award yesterday. And it's interesting when you take a look at the, some of the other names on that list, the likes of Haaland, Pedri, Gavi, and of course, Joe Felix as well. He made all the headlines this weekend of scoring against his parent club, Atletico Madrid. And boy, did he enjoy it as well. And he continues to enjoy the front page of the sports newspapers in Catalonia. Uh, Nathan, you haven't been on since um, all this happened, of course, in La Liga at the weekend. I'm wondering if you would celebrate with the same vigour. Oh, that is, a, that is a great question. It's a, it is quite a toxic celebration, but the fact is that let's go let him go. So if you're going to let somebody go, then the jo his job is to do well for the team that he's at. So yeah, it, it feels like it's a lot, but it would be quite awkward if he wasn't celebrating a goal for the team in such a, that he's currently at in such a big game. I, I don't mind it. I know it's a strange situation to be in and it feels distinctly Spanish, but I don't mind it. And if this is how he wants to be, he's already made it clear they didn't want to be at Lesko um, in the preseason. So he got his move. He's at Barca, scores against another team. So yeah, it's awkward, but it's the reality of the situation that he's in that only seems to be able to happen in Spain. But of course, Nadim, it's, it's a lone move. So in theory, he's got to go back at, at the end of the season. However, different to what we see in the Premier League, where, of course, if you're on loan at another club, you're not allowed to then play against your parent club. That didn't count here. Do you think that that's something that should be introduced mm. in England? Um, so my take on this, I think we've spoken about this before, is one whereby if you let somebody go, I'm OK with them being able to play however they want. And I think in Spain, even if João Felix couldn't play in the two games against Barca, sorry, against Atletico, He's going to be playing against all the other sides who are pushing, and he's helping Barca push for a title, helping Barca try and achieve the same things that Alesco wants to achieve. So if you're choosing to let him go there, he's already going to have an impact in terms of what the season's going to be anyway. And I believe that if someone is being told that they can walk out, I know it seems controversial, especially when they go out and do what they do, like he did at the weekend, let them play. You clearly don't consider them to be useful for your side. So let them go and be useful for somebody else. And if you think that, you know, it's going to be a hazard to you, should you play against him? For me, don't let him leave. But for when you let him leave, these moments are going to be out there. And I'm, I'm, as I say, it might be controversial, but I'm, I'm OK with it. I don't think it's controversial, is it? It sounds... See, it depends what side of the fence you're on. Because I'm on the football side. On the, oh, goodness. Oh, if you're on the football side, absolutely, you don't play against the team that you're, you're on loan from. There you are, then. I, I, 
I can remember with, with the Revs, every time we played against a team who had a former player that I let go, I'm sitting there going, oh, no, here we go. You know, you know what's going to happen. Because you're bad judgment. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know what's going to happen. They're going to score. So, from the football side, they're always going to go, no, we don't want, we don't want them playing at all. But from a sensible point of view, yeah. what Needham says is very sensible. If you, let, if you didn't want them, then why are you so worried? Yeah. But unfortunately, I'm coming from the football side. So if, you're, you, if you were the FA it. and they said, shall we implement this, Stevie? I'd you'll... be like, no, no, don't play. Don't play. Can't, can't play against us on loan. Here's my compromise. If you pay a loan fee or if you pick up a certain percentage of the wages of the player who's gone out on loan, well, then he can't play against you. But if the, if the other club is paying me a loan fee, then, oh, yeah, he can play against me. I don't know why we even need to compromise on this subject. It seems, you know, it's just, it's, it's, it's not good enough for me now. Well, then, good. Well, that's because you're on the other side. But what side are you on? I'm on the football side. Why? Every single, every single coach in the situation that Simeone's in would be absolutely But you're not pushing, pushing now. Well, if they were asked the question... Both of you are on different sides and claim it to be on the football <laughs> side. You've got a guy on loan who can't play I'm against you. on the football you. side. Well, no, both of not. you claim it to be on football you, side and argue different what sides. What do you know about football? <laughs> I want, I want There's a reason why you ask the questions. <laughs> I want football to be the winner. And surely it's the mm. winner mm. when you've got the best possible starting oh, 11 oh, on both oh, sides. Oh, there we are. Yeah. Uh, what are we doing now? Uh, football is a uh, We'll say thank you very much uh, uh, to Nadem. Nadem will be back for extra time. Just a reminder, La Liga continues this weekend. On Saturday, Real Madrid in Seville away against Real Betis. And then on Sunday, top of the table clash as Barca take on Girona. Welcome into the latest edition of Extra Time. Shaka and Stevie are here, but we've got to start with Nadem, who very much stole the show during the show, because what the heck is going on behind you? Uh, let's start off <laughs> over your left shoulder, uh, Nadem. What is that game? What is that thing with all, like, it looks, I don't, I can't, it's like a kaplunk, or what is that? This. No, that's a book. This is, yeah. um, this is, this is, um, this is from <laughs> Google. Um, I don't know what it is, but it, right. this is free. So yeah, it works for me. Works for me. Right. That's all you need to know about. It works for me. <laughs> so when you could choose your background, you went for this one. I went for the cheapest option, the earliest option, and yeah. one that would frustrate you the most. So yeah, I think that's well, a tick, no, tick, tick, tick. Happy days. It, I think it's beautiful. So you don't play the piano. Well, I do, but I can't play this one because it's not real. Uh, but yeah, that, that's, <laughs> that's right, a bit yeah. of a problem. <laughs> I always thought you'd make a good pianist, Shaq. Yeah, yeah. I, uh, I, I took lessons what? when I was... Look, look at his big long much, fingers. No, he can look. He's got nice, uh, nice span over the, uh, over the ivories. Yeah. <laughs> I wish I could Because yeah, you've got, you got stubby yeah, got shovels. Sausage, <laughs> yeah. yeah, exactly. You, you just try... <laughs> do you wish you kept it up, Shaq? I wish I could play the saxophone. I like oh, the saxophone. oh, that's random. Yeah. I like the Baker Street. Huh? Baker Street. Street. Okay. There you are. Yeah. Yeah. So, Nadine, what other instruments do you play? Um, bass guitar, a little bit of regular guitar, um, tiny bit of drums, but nothing, nothing else beyond that. Ooh. One man band. <laughs> yeah, I do. Yeah, yeah. Do you not? Now, Nadine is quite educated, isn't he? 
What's that got to do with playing the guitar? Playing the guitar. Well, because you get brought up in an environment where you're forced to play musical instruments. <laughs> oh, that's, that, uh, that's how education no. works. That's how it might happen. Uh, rice, rice baby, right? It's the first tweet. Oh, I don't think it's a question. Uh, uh, are you worried at all? You got that fifty-dollar bet with Kieran that Arsenal are going to win the league? No. No. I'd totally forgotten about it. Well, there you go. No. 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 I've got $50 with Don, haven't I? Well. He bet that Arsenal wouldn't finish in the top four. Oh! <laughs> <laughs> oh. No. oh that's, that's printing money. If there's anybody you want to have a bet with is Don. Yeah, just anything financial Don, with Don. Don kind of random. Don <laughs> goes for kind of... <laughs> Don, Don goes in the most random things, though. <laughs> Random. Is Steve Nicol going to go in on Arsenal for needing four goals to beat Luton or does he just save that fake, fake outrage for Liverpool? Oh, oh more Anton, wow. Well. Liverpool legend. No, I think, I think the, the fact that they lost three goals is down to one person, to be honest. Right. Goalkeeper, or two of them at least. I mean, he's basically thrown two in, is what he's done. Because the corner, coming for that, you have to get it. Yep. And the fact that the second one, it goes through him, I mean, it's just, yeah. That's a completely different problem than what we've been talking about City and yes. certainly Liverpool. It's a different ball game. Uh, will Ryan Ramsdale cost Arsenal the title, Nadem? Um, no, I, I don't think so. I don't think the mis if, if they are to win the title, I think keepers can afford to make mistakes. And I think to talk about what the guys were saying there, it's not nice when you concede three and you make mistakes, but it's great when you can score four. And as the guys were saying on the show, as the time is ticking on, if Arsenal need to find a goal, I think a lot of us are in that camp now where you believe they're going to do it. And I think that's going to be something that's probably more important than you know trying to limit some of the mistakes at the back because they won't happen every single week and they won't be costly every single week either if they do. Mr. Nickel. That's very formal. Mm. Oh, that's but, good stuff. By my count, you had 10 different shirt numbers at Liverpool. What's the story behind all the changes? Did you have a favourite? Well, oh. number four. Right, number four was your favourite. Why did you have so many? Well, because until I got established with the number four, mm. so that probably took four years. So because I played in different positions, different positions had different numbers. Ah, okay. But when you played right back, it was number two, you were always number two. Right. If you played centre back, you were... So what was it now? Your, your squad number wasn't defined. It was one to 11 each time. So when you walked in the dressing room, it was just always one through 11. Right. And whoever was playing, depending on what position you were, that was the number you were given. Nadim, are you clapping Stevie's response? What's that noise? I don't know what you're talking about. It's got nothing to do with me, Paul. You're hearing things. Did you, hear, hear. did you hear that cracking in this clap apparently, apparently you were you were doing your knuckles. Cracking your knuckles, Nainam. Bit no. rude. I don't, I, was, no, I don't know no, where the 10 comes no, from, though. No. <laughs> hmm? I don't know where the 10 comes from. That's a lot of numbers. That's a lot, isn't it? Well, your goalkeeper won on a Sheffield Wednesday. Sheffield Wednesday. Right yeah. back's two. Yeah. Left back's three. Yeah. Centre back's five. Right. Right and left side of midfield, seven and eight. Okay, mounting up. That's, yeah. a, that's a lot yeah. of numbers. Yeah, maybe on the bench as well. Yeah, centre midfield. You say they're right. Six. Oh, we've just seen their names taller than Dan. That's not very nice. It's <laughs> not, not very hard. Doesn't narrow down much, does it? <laughs> okay. But at least we know it's not Sebi. 
What's your favourite number? <laughs> Twelve. You didn't like one? I didn't care, really. Well, you just said you liked 12. Why'd you prefer 12 to 1? Well, 12 was my favourite, but I didn't care much. <laughs> but that seems strange, wouldn't it? Isn't the goal... That doesn't matter. 12. I wore 12 as well, because it was sub. Yeah, there you go. 13, probably, as well. Yeah, not there. Yeah, there we are. This person's right. Uh, Nadem, your favourite number in the world? In the world? Oh, uh, <laughs> four. Uh, four. Four. I like number four, yeah. Four's my number. Yeah, is that, is that what you were... Did you get a choice at all? Uh, so my first number was 16 and I just got given that number and then I got asked if somebody asked me if I wanted to have four a few years on so I took it and then Vincent Company took it and then my legacy was cut off completely so yeah, uh, four was nice while I had it. But, yeah. Uh, um, yeah. For Nadem, as a City fan, how dare they question your objectivity, uh, who do you think are City's biggest challengers? I know it's strange. I'm so neutral, Dan. I'm so yeah, neutral. Yeah. Yes, um, yeah, exactly. I think it's the I think it's I think it's the three teams that are up there. Now you're looking at Liverpool, you're looking at Arsenal. I think they're the they're the two biggest ones because you saw Arsenal have a good go of it for 80% of last season. You've seen Liverpool have a good go of it for the last probably four out of five years. I think the fact that Villa's still there is interesting, Spurs could potentially turn it up, but I think it's gonna be Liverpool, Arsenal, City going for probably the duration of the season. Who are you most scared of? Scared of? Yes. Um, I think Liverpool have the greater potential to win like 10 games in a row this season, whereas I think Arsenal could go 10 unbeaten, but it's that element of perfection, which I think Liverpool do have within them. So I think I'd probably have to say them for now. There we go, we got there. Liverpool. Stevie, as a former defender, can you explain why we have so many basketball games in the Premier League this season? Well, because defenders, Unfortunately, there are too many defenders playing in the Premier League who don't do the basics properly. Right. I mean, I'll, t I'll, tell, you, I'll tell you, if you ever want to see a great example of bad defending that causes you problems, you just got to look at this Arsenal looting game. The first goal is a throw in for Arsenal, and I think it's Doherty. Yeah. For some reason, instead of just getting a good position behind, who was it put it across? Saka. Jesus, was it Jesus? No, Saka. Saka. Instead of just getting a good position behind Saka, where he's got to give the ball back to Jesus, who took the throw, yeah. for some reason he comes from the side, tries to win it, Saka dummies it, and two seconds later the ball's in the back of the net. I mean, that is basic defending. What he did was he completely gambled. And the last goal comes from a free kick in the 96th minute, where Trossard's going for a header that he is barely going to get, which means they'll have no control where it goes. It's probably going to go out for a throw-in, but he's not going to pull it down. He's not going to be able to do anything. And so instead of the defender figuring this out as the ball's in the air, he barges into the back of him, gives a free kick, and the ball again ends up in the back of the net. So these are basic things that good, foot, good, good, a good football brain works these things out while the game's going on. Don't gamble. Make sure you, you get in a good position behind Saka. Don't give a foul away in the 96th minute. They might cost you a goal. These are, all, these are all things that good footballers do because they have a good football brain and they can read the game and work things out as things are happening. Final question. Nadan, what was the worst celebration you've witnessed during a game? 
the worst. Um, yeah. I would say the the worst one is ah, it's tough because like score a goal, score a goal, whatever. I think the worst celebration was possibly Jimmy Bullard uh, sitting down all the whole players at the Etihad. Oh, yes. The season oh, yeah. after uh, Brown had like told, told them all off whatever, and he was doing that celebration. But the one which I actually enjoyed the most which was like magnificent was when Adebayor ran 90 yards to do the knee slide <laughs> for the Arsenal fans at the Etihad again. That was like, that was, that was bonkers. And yeah, I think he enjoyed it. And I think the Arsenal fans enjoyed throwing stuff at him as well. So I guess it's a win-win for everyone. Win-win for everyone. <laughs> Worst celebration, chat? Anything spring to mind? No, I mean, there have been some, some cringy ones. People balling pins when they line up like they ball. Right. I mean... Isn't that nice, though? No! A little bit of entertainment? No! I find that utterly cringy. Oh. Utterly. Utterly? Utterly. Wow, all right. I hate, I hate the stupid dancing. You get two of them giving it all there. Oh no, don't go down that route oh, again, oh, Stevie. Oh, oh, no. Do what? Do, do, the ones, do what? No, do what? Don't do what? Like really no, okay, let me put it a different way then. You know the ones that have been rehearsed? Yeah, that is complete cringe material. Yeah, this is what we're going to do when we score. That annoys, <laughs> that annoys me. That annoys me. Do the dance again, let me see. Do it, do the dance. <laughs> you also said the best celebration, Stevie. Oh, I'm... You also just angry. <laughs> Anger. Take that. I believe that is it. Thank you oh. very much. Uh, thank you, Naden. Much appreciated. Uh, big show tomorrow, of course, because we'll be reflecting on United against uh, Chelsea, plus Aston Villa against uh, City. Who Liverpool? Liverpool playing as well, aren't they, tomorrow? Sheffield United away, I believe. New manager bounce, maybe, for the Blades. <laughs> okay. why, why are you not saying anything? Finished, <laughs> <laughs> All right, bye. <laughs>